today we are sort of kicking off, I guess, a sort of two-part little mini-series, although it's not really a series, but the next couple of weeks we're going to be focusing on the subjects about how to maintain healthy relationships. And uh, this week we're going to be looking again at some of Jesus' teaching in Matthew's Gospel from the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, and then next week, it's really exciting, we've got uh, a couple called Nikki and Silla Lee uh, coming and we're going to be interviewing them uh, together next week in the morning and in the evening. And some of you will know Nikki and Silla Lee. Nikki and Silla, they pioneered uh, something called the marriage course and they've also been very involved in the parenting courses uh, that have just really resourced hundreds if not thousands of people all over the world in just strengthening their relationships both before marriage, during marriage, and obviously for families as well. So it's going to be an amazing time. They've got so much wisdom and experience uh, to bring. So that's next week. But this week, we are again looking at Matthew's gospel and really Jesus on the subject of anger and the impact that anger can have and the effect that it can have on our relationships. I wonder what makes you angry? What gets you hot under the collar? What makes you see the red mist? What makes you get your blood boiling, uh, get you a little bit frustrated or a little bit mad? Anger, of course, is a, is a common emotion. It's something that we all experience, and it's often involuntary. And at least for a moment, it's perhaps legitimate, depending on what has happened to us. For me, I usually find anger is aroused when I'm maybe tired or perhaps even hungry or maybe stressed. Sometimes anger just seems to come out of nowhere. And recently, uh, our team, the staff here, we had someone from the church actually, Comrade Rasmussen, who's our church warden, he did some training and coaching for our staff team. And I found out yet again just how competitive I am. He was doing some brilliant sort of team training. And for me, I think it's part of that competition that can lead to frustration or to anger. And particularly when I lose, or particularly when I feel threatened or I'm not getting my own way. Maybe think about a toddler who's having a tantrum. I don't want it this way. Or maybe a stroppy teenager or someone like me when you're losing a game at Christmas. I don't know how you find that, but if I'm losing, I often find I get frustrated and cross. I'm, I'm prone to get cross on the football field for that reason. I'm prone to get cross and a bit angry in bad traffic because as far as I'm concerned, traffic is a race. We're all just trying to get to our destination and it's a race to get there. And frankly, how annoying are yellow box junctions? For those of you that drive, you think the car's moved far enough ahead, but no. And you end up in the yellow box junction a couple of weeks later, the £60 fine comes through the door. It's so annoying. Uh, you know, just hypothetically, I've had one or two of those tickets. Slow people at supermarket checkouts, they can make me cross, particularly when I'm in a rush. Hopefully it's not just me who's having a therapy session here expressing how angry I can be. But here in this passage, Jesus, he's addressing the issue of anger. 
the impact that anger can have, the, the havoc actually that can wreak on our relationships. And so often, it affects the people who are closest to us. Our friends, our flatmates, our family, our siblings, our spouses, our work colleagues. And it isn't what we want. It isn't how we want to live. So what does Jesus have to say? Let's look at Matthew chapter 5, and we're looking at verses 21 to 26. Jesus says, You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, You shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still together on the way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge. And the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. I don't know how you feel hearing those words, but when I read those words, I think, that's pretty full on, Jesus. I mean, wow, that's that's quite strong. And maybe there are some words that are almost like triggers for you in that passage. Words like judgment or in danger of the fire of hell. You thought you were coming to church for a nice evening, but this is quite challenging stuff. But I think that's intentional. I think Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount here, he's trying to make a point to the people that he's speaking to then, and he's trying to make a point to us now, Jesus is calling his, his followers, his friends, his disciples to something higher. He doesn't want them just to follow rules or regulations like do not murder. You know, it's not about just do's and don'ts. Of course, that's part of what he wants to do. But what he's looking for is a transformation of our hearts. He's looking for our lives to be lives that are really motivated by love, with wholeness in our relationships. And so Jesus lays down a pretty strong challenge. And really, that's the first thing I think that we see from here. Jesus wants us to take our anger seriously. He doesn't want us to minimize it or disregard it or downplay it. But he wants us to stare it in the face and recognize it. And I think that's the first thing that we see here. The first step to maintaining healthy, whole relationships is recognition. Recognition of some of our behaviors. Here Jesus introduces the subject. And he says, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. Now, if I had a friend or somebody who I thought, oh, do you know, they've got a little bit of a temper, they've got a 
bit of an anger thing going on and maybe they came to chat to me or maybe I thought I might try and you know, have the conversation. I think what I would do is I'd either call them up or agree to meet and take them for coffee and we'd sort of have some small talk and we'd kind of ease our way into the subject of anger. But Jesus doesn't do that at all. Right from the outset, Jesus pretty much brings out the big guns. He starts by saying, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. He goes straight to the Old Testament, Exodus 20, verse 13. This is number six of the Ten Commandments. Do not murder. And he draws the people's attention to the judgment associated with murder. The judgment associated with all kinds of different ways that someone might take another person's life. And you can read about all of those in the Old Testament. In one sense, Jesus saying, do not murder, it might be easy to follow. It's like, okay, Jesus, I get that. Fantastic. I'll give that a good go this week. Uh, Do not murder. I I think I can follow that. But then he goes on and he takes it further. He says, But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or a sister will be subject to judgment. What does he mean? Why is he making this comparison between murder and with anger? What does he mean by anger? The Oxford English Dictionary defines anger like this. It says the strong emotional feeling when something has happened that you think is bad and unfair. We feel cross, we feel angry when our will is thwarted, when something or someone stops us getting what we want. And there are so many different types of anger. Some anger is healthy and legitimate, maybe anger at injustice or in the face of evil. Anger is mentioned in the Bible 455 times. 375 of those times is referencing the anger of God towards injustice, towards evil, towards human cruelty. Jesus himself got angry. The story of him going into the temple, turning over the tables. And yet he was without sin. There's a distinction between anger and sin. Being angry isn't necessarily sinful. I love the way John Stott describes Jesus' anger. He says, the steady, unrelenting, unremitting, uncompromising antagonism to evil in all its forms and manifestations. The, the Apostle Paul in the New Testament commands, in your anger do not sin. So there has to be a difference between the two. What is Jesus referring to here? Well, there are two words for anger in the Greek. The first one is tumos, and really this is a kind of like a, a quick flare-up anger. It's, the, the illustration is almost like dry straw, uh, which is set alight. It burns really hard and fast and hot really quickly, but then it dies down just as fast as it burned. Uh, imagine for a moment that you're maybe running for a bus and you see the bus and it's stopped and you're sprinting quite hard but as you just get there the doors of the bus close 
and the bus drives away. And you do that thing where you're pretending you're not really running. You sort of slow down, but it's so annoying that the bus has gone, particularly if the bus driver sort of, no, they don't do that. Imagine you've got a brand new cream sofa and someone comes in, spills a glass of red wine. You know, you're just angry in that moment or somebody cuts you up in traffic. Maybe you've got a roommate or a flatmate or somebody in your house who never clears up. It's like the fifth night and you're just cross. You're just frustrated and you snap. But it's that kind of anger, tumos, where it just flares up. But after a few minutes, you, you calm down again. The red mist clears. The other Greek word for anger is orgesesthai, which is like a, a, a much more of a kind of lingering anger. Or it means sort of like ongoing anger. It's, in the Greek, it's like a, a sort of present participle, which means it, it, it goes on and on and on. It's like you're carrying anger, like carrying a burden. Or perhaps a better translation would be like bearing a grudge or holding a grudge. Of course, both of these types of anger are pretty, pretty lousy, but actually it's this kind of anger that's really toxic. And it's this kind of anger that here in this passage, Jesus is talking about. Anger that we can't move on from. Anger that's stuck inside of us that we carry along with us. So really Jesus is saying that anybody who's carrying anger or resentment or holding a grudge with somebody else, and particularly someone in the community, he talks here about it being towards a brother or a sister. That doesn't necessarily mean that we can carry anger to those outside the church, but what he wants us to be is a community with whole and healthy relationships. And what he does is he says anyone who's holding that, it's like, that's under the same judgment as murder. I mean, again, and that's shocking, isn't it? How, what, what is it that he's saying here? But he goes on further. He says, again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka is answerable to the Sanhedrin. Raka was a four-letter word in Aramaic, which was Jesus' mother tongue. And it was kind of like an insult of the day. In those days, you might go up to someone and racker. But you wouldn't necessarily hear that today. You might call someone, I don't know, idiot or something like that. But it means empty-headed or just kind of stupid, basically. But it was an insult of the day. And he continues, he says, but anyone who says, you fool. The Greek word for fool there is mora, which is where we get our word moron. It was sort of shaming somebody who was unintelligent or perhaps somebody who was immoral. And what Jesus is saying is that if you insult people or shame people or degrade their character in some way, he says here it's answerable to the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was like the supreme court of the day. It was the place where you were sort of tried for crimes. This is the level that Jesus is trying to describe to the people, the toxicity of this kind of anger in our relationships. And he goes on to say, you will be in danger of the fire of hell. These are such strong words. But notice Jesus doesn't say, if you're angry in this way, you'll go to hell. And that's the easy jump that we can make. But what he says here is that you're in danger of the fire of hell. 
The reason for that is that in, in Jesus' day, the fire of hell was a very real place. It was a geographical place. The Greek word translated hell in English is Gehenna. And Gehenna was a place sort of uh, the south of Jerusalem. And you can read back in the Old Testament, perhaps in Chronicles, if you head back that way. But you can look it up another time. We don't have time to look at it now. But it had a horrendous history. It was the place where there was idolatry and warfare and particularly child sacrifice. So it had this kind of reputation of being a hellish place historically. And then in Jesus' time, Gehenna became like the refuse site of the city. So before the days of, you know, the dump down at Smuggler's Way, uh, where you kind of take your recycling, this was the place where all of the rubbish, all of the sewage, all of the refuse in the city was dumped and it was burned. And you can imagine those fires, they just never, ever went out. So Jesus is using this visual illustration to talk to these people about the, the dangers of anger. Of course, he's not downplaying the sort of, what we might call the sort of eschatological future situation that we'll be in if we harbor anger, the toxicity and the, and the danger that can be on our relationships. But really what he's saying is, is that if we don't get a handle on this kind of anger, if we don't come to him with this kind of anger, it can almost be like hell on earth. It can be hellish for us, for those who are around us. And of course, if that kind of anger escalates into hatred, it can move on to abuse and all kinds of awful, awful things. And we see that a bit, don't we, in our society? Racial tension, conflict in our world. What can start as a small offense, if carried, can grow into something on a global scale. War, abuse, murder. So Jesus clearly wants us to take our anger seriously. And if we're to maintain healthy relationships, it comes to begin with from, with this, from this place of recognition. And the question is not whether we should get angry. We will get angry. But the question is, what should we do with our anger? And Jesus has some great advice. He goes on to give us two really practical things for us to do. He doesn't leave us on our own. He doesn't say, don't get angry. Now try and sort it out yourselves. If we did that, like by Thursday, we've kind of got a little bit better and then something happens and we blow up and it's just all gone wrong. No, what Jesus says is that actually I'm diagnosing almost more like a condition of the heart. This is something in the human condition that can be only solved through a relationship with God. So how do we do that? What does Jesus have to say? Well, the first thing is reconciliation. He says in verse 24, go and be reconciled. Often I think we can read these kind of passages really literally. In verse 23 says, therefore if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. 
First go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. So he's not so much talking about you've come to church tonight and you're in the service and you suddenly remember you've got an issue with someone or an unresolved conflict. And before you sing in the worship with Ben and the band, you've got to kind of go home and get in touch with him. Now, on the one hand, that's quite a good thing. There is a bit of that going on. But really what Jesus is doing here is that he's creating a hypothetical scenario. You see, Jesus was giving the Sermon on the Mount. He was speaking in Galilee. And then he starts talking about the altar. Now, the altar in that day was in the temple. It was in Jerusalem. And that was about 80 miles from Galilee. And so what would happen is you would have someone who was maybe a a farmer. They would take their sacrifice maybe once a year to make atonement for them and their family's sins to the high priest. And they would get their sacrifice, which was normally a goat. Not many of them could afford a lamb in those days. And they would make the 80-mile journey to Jerusalem to make the sacrifice. And then when they got there, after walking... 80 miles with the goat, probably with their family and friends. It was an epic thing to do. Days and days, weeks and weeks to make that journey. Suddenly they remembered that they've got an issue or a conflict or they were angry with someone that was in their community. So then what they would have to do is they'd have to leave the goat. They'd have to walk all the way back to to Galilee where they were from knock on the person's door, have a conversation, try and work out their differences, then go back, another 80 mile. You know, it's comical. It's ludicrous. What Jesus is trying to paint here is, you just don't want to do that. You don't even want to go there. So what he's saying is, is that be reconciled. Be reconciled with one another. And he's alighting on the fact that our relationship with God is also tied up with our relationship with people, and particularly those in our community. That's not to say that we shouldn't have good relationships with those outside the community, but he's particularly talking here about brothers and sisters in Christ. Maybe some of us don't necessarily always feel engaged or connected with God, and there's loads of different reasons for that. But it may be some of that reason is because we're not united with those who are around us. Maybe there's conflict going on in our relationships. It's really hard to be close to God if we're not close to others in our relationships. So Jesus says, be reconciled. And then Jesus says in verse 25, the second thing, settle matters quickly. Settle matters quickly. He says, do it whilst you are still together on the way. Otherwise, you'll be thrown into prison. And now again, in the ancient world, what happened is if you owed a debt, sometimes you were thrown into prison. Sometimes people died in prison because of the debt that they had and they couldn't pay it. And again, what Jesus is doing here, he's, he's kind of opening this hypothetical scenario to say, you don't want that. So why don't you just take that step and settle 
matters quickly. Resolve your differences quickly. Keep unity. Don't let things escalate. Of course, this is hard to do. It's really hard to do. If, if you're anything like me, often I do the opposite. If I've kind of got a bit of angst with someone, rather than going to them and having a conversation and sorting it out quickly, I sort of fester on it for a bit or procrastinate for a bit and just hope it might go away. But, I mean, nine times out of ten, that is a disaster. It just gets worse and worse and worse. So again, Jesus' wisdom is resolve things rapidly. Don't smolder slowly. Sort things out quickly. Jesus ultimately wants our hearts to be transformed. He wants our relationships to be wholesome and healthy. I wonder tonight, is there maybe anger or resentment or stuff that you are carrying? Bring that to Jesus today. Of course, there could be all kinds of different reasons for that. We've been hurt in the past or wronged in the past. But ask him to help you. Maybe if you recognize some of that in your own life, talk to somebody about it. I love the fact that for years the church here has been running something called the Wandsworth Mediation Service. It's an active non-for-profit organization trying to help people mediate challenging situations. Nobody said that this was going to be easy. It's not always straightforward. I know for Emily and I, a number of years ago, just in our marriage, sometimes we had tension or arguments that we couldn't necessarily get through really quickly and easily on our own. So we would go and see friends and we'd say, hey, we're just struggling with this. Can you help us? Maybe that's something that you need to do. It was great for us to be able to go meet with someone and hear someone say how right I was. Um, Sadly, that wasn't the case. But we're called as Paul says, you know, if possible, so far as it depends on you, to live at peace with everyone. What might it look like for us in our relationships? Perhaps things that have happened or things that will happen. Maybe something will come up this week. What does it look like for us to settle matters quickly, to be reconciled? It might be hard, uncomfortable, sacrificial, or painful, but I love... This quote, it says, the first to apologize is the bravest. The first to forgive is the strongest. And the first to forget is the happiest. This is challenging. This is countercultural, but it's absolutely vital for our healthy relationships. Amen.